This week on Tuesday Noon, it's the changing face of marketing. You're inundated with messages, images, brands, signals, pitches, thousands of them every day. Today, we talk to two experts in the field about how marketers are finding new ways to find and push your buttons. That's Tuesday Noon for August 29, 2006. Welcome to Tuesday Noon, everybody. We are back. It's another Tuesday, another noon, and we are uh, extremely uh, grateful to have two wonderful expert guests uh, on the show with us. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, marketing. We're going to be talking about the changing face of marketing, how marketing is is becoming, you know, common uh, construct is that marketing is becoming more invasive everywhere you turn. There's There are more signals talking at you, screaming at you. And, uh, and so we're going to hash this out. So um, uh, first, let's go around the room. Who do we have uh, in, in the uh, the cave studio with us today? We've got our usual uh, uh, suspects, uh, Mr. Jamie Whitley. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here again. We had a student one time that said marketing is everything. You remember that? Remember that, Tim? That was, yeah? Marketing is everything. I, hmm. I buy that. It's cool. And we have next to Jamie, we have? Mary Bradbury Jones. Uh, the regular associate of us here at the cave. Mary, Mary smells good, to good today. Good to be here. Enough out of you, Jamie. And uh, and now our esteemed guests. Uh, uh, let's start here in the cave. Uh, Tim Mance, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm Tim Mance. I uh, currently am uh, Vice President of Marketing for Strategic Sense. I also am an instructor here at the University of Phoenix. I uh, currently work with Fortune 100 companies on um, a lot of global integration. Is what we're doing right now is pulling things together globally. And can you give us an idea of some of the projects maybe you've worked on? Um, or are they secret? Yeah, most of them are under NDA, so you got to be really careful. But they're all companies you would have heard of. Excellent. They're all big names, um, and and we're doing some pretty cool stuff. And we're shifting away in many cases from t- traditional stuff. One of the the one one that I can talk about that's over is a Toyota project that we did with college campuses um, with art institutes around the country in Toyota. And uh, we got the college students into blogs and into alternative media, so to say, to launch the Yars. And uh, we actually did market research, and and, uh, and then they followed through with website development, blogs, and actual events, concerts, parties um, that brought these people together all for the uh, the Yars. And, and it was a viral approach in that most people didn't even realize what Yaris was at the time until they got involved. Excellent. We'll talk more about that in a second. And then I'll, let me introduce our, our last guest we have on the phone with us is uh, is Michael Liefer, uh, from, uh, the CEO of Gorilla PR, uh, out of, uh, you're in San Francisco today, Michael, is that right? Uh, just north in a fine place called Marin, California. Ah, uh, beautiful. Is it, uh, how's the weather? Uh, perfect. I miss I miss the bay. I used to live down there. Seventy, slightly breezy. It was. It's uh, like a storybook. It is. It's always good weather this time of year. Oh, that's excellent. Tell us a little bit about Gorilla PR. What are you guys doing? Uh, we're a cultural anthropology-based uh, strategic consulting shop that does alternative marketing and media execution. And um, we specialize in communication messaging that fits specific target segments so we can have a higher level of relevance and engagement with them um, to um, get them what they're interested in and find out where they hang out and develop a relationship. So um, there's lots of terms for uh, the new changing landscape of marketing these days, but um, to us it's really quite simple. It's all based on communication and speaking to people in a way that's 
familiar to them about things that are authentic and uh, relevant. And so that's what we built with Gorilla PR. Gorilla PR um, has been around for about seven years, and um, we um, specialize in putting together lots of different uh, alternative channels that are outside of the traditional radio, TV, print, billboard, and uh, other means. And um, we find the best strategic ways of integrating those efforts to maximize whatever our clients' needs happen to be. Now, it was, was Gorilla around when you were, when you were involved in uh, Blair Witch? Yes, a long time ago. Can you can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Um, because well, that, I mean, that's one of the things that we you know a lot of us teach is just what happened. How did Blair Witch get so get so big? And then you know, I mean, was was the movie worth it? Well, there's there's lots of elements to it. Um, I by no means was the macro designer of it. Um, you know, it was almost in a cell kind of capacity. Um, it was really about building out specific sites and. Um, uh, creating riddles on those sites so um, that we would drive people to to discover clues. So it, imagine this large scavenger hunt happening online where people would find clues and then want to seek out others that were also doing it and share that information. And um, so, you know, in a lot of ways, it was about building thousands of unique sites and then popularizing that through everything from live chats, uh, like I helped to produce the Harry Knowles Ain't It Cool News live chat through Real Hollywood out of Warner Brothers, and Harry at the time was uh, a very popular um, uh, film reviewer of B-films. Um, guy had gotten in an accident and um, uh, wasn't able to walk and was in a wheelchair and had this computer with this crazy thing called the internet that none of his uh, local neighbors knew about. and. He loved B-Films, so he started cataloging and putting his reviews up online. It was really one of the first major people to do that. And um, as a result, when there were new films being popularized that harkened back to other eras, people would tune into his programs. So he became so popular, he ended up with millions of unique visitors. And um, it made sense to do a live chat program with him, which back in the day meant that he would appear at a certain time online, and it, there would be an audio, almost radio type of interview process with him. And then people would be able to send in their questions via chat to a moderator who then would ask them directly with Harry. Um, and the moderator at that time was me. <laughs> so, um, so I would ask Harry a bunch of questions, and then um, Harry would drop you know, clues about Blair Witch during the process of the program itself. So people would go and... He'd drop, say, some name in some random website, and you'd go look it up, and there'd be some clue somewhere lingering on in the pages of that site, and people would find it, and then that would link to another site that would link to another site, and uh, it was really, it was a really interesting consolidated effort by all the different parties. But um, um, again, it was sort of it gave the ball to different people so they could take the messaging and the creative and the concept itself and run with it, and um, it was just all about creating different spin in a thousand different directions on uh, one particular uh, uh, product, which was the Blair Witch movie. It, it's probably what triggered what they did for Lost with all those extra sites that they had to hold viewers through the breaks, Absolutely. or or all the sites they set up with uh, Snakes on a Plane. Yeah, you know, now Snakes on a Plane is, an, is a really interesting uh, example there, because, I mean, here, you know, I, I think that the producers of that movie thought that this was going to be a $100 million opening. 
uh, you know, with all of the, the vast amounts of buzz and, and going back and reshooting parts of it because that's what the blogosphere wanted them to do. And it ended up being a, what, a $15 million open. Um, What's that movie about? Snakes on a plane? No, Are you kidding that's, me? That's pretty compelling. Yeah, it's, it's no you know, I, and I got I got to say that the movie was it was uh, I had a blast at that movie. I went to see it with a big group of people, and it was exactly the experience I wanted it to be. Everybody was screaming and talking. It was a lot of fun, and so for me, it worked. I but you know, I follow blogs and I follow how that movie was uh, came about. And they picked up lines from people in the blogs yeah. and. They did. But has it really been successful or have... Well, the question is, would that movie have been a $1 million movie if it weren't for that? I think we just picked up the $15 million audience, which was the blog audience. Right. That's my sort of hypothesis. I don't, I don't think they would have done very well at all if yeah. they hadn't put that together. It also comes down to timing and when the film came out and whether or not the actual product itself was good. I mean, it, yeah. it, fit, it fit you and, you know, it hit your psychographic and, and touch points to make it, make it, like, very exciting and energizing that you became the marketing ambassador and are telling us and everyone in the podcast casting audience here mm-hmm. about it. But, um, you know, really, they, they only kind of went in on a, kind of a two- or three-dimensionalized view of trying to publicize it, predominantly through uh, using blogs and coming up with sort of levels of interest. But they didn't get marketing ambassadors really behind it so that they had seen a sneak preview of it and were telling people about it, nor did they have different levels of content available for it that um, were only available in one spot. A lot of the content they syndicated almost too broadly, so they're kind of giving giving away the uh, the cookie. Um, you know, there's there's a certain way to create diffusion online when you're doing any viral campaign, and there's a, a specific process that will allow you to um, achieve, you know, a, a domino effect. And it's not about launching everything at the same time. It's actually a create, about creating intrigue and getting people to really drive in different ways, but having multiple angles on it. Um, and it's not just about having digital assets or things online. There's, you know, there's a large percentage of America that are into horror films that don't spend that much time online. Do you think Samuel L. Jackson, the way he came out, might have might have hurt that a bit? Because on the blogs they were talking about how he didn't want to be anywhere near the snakes, and and then he comes out and he's talking about how he loved this and it was a great idea. So I mean, it, it was very it came contradictory. Off as contrived and it came off as contradictory. He definitely crossed his messaging. Yeah, so he was he, his he own worst his, ambassador. Well, uh, well, um, just you know, whenever you have somebody do a hundred and eighty degree spin, it's problematic. Well, and today know, with the net, you get caught that and doesn't like it. Well, and that's one of my questions: is what if you do get caught? So there is, I think, there's this fallacy that the net and the blogs and the people that that are participating are somehow the truth finders, and and it's pure and that everything comes out and everybody gets caught. And then when it starts being manipulated through, on purpose through a company or whatever, you run the risk of getting caught or somehow tainting your message, and it actually does you damage on the other side. Yeah, that's why, like, what we do on the social networks is, is the opposite of that. Um, you know, we, we actually go out to the top folks that are in MySpace and LiveJournal, and, and, you know, uh, you look at Moog and you look at, you know, there's so many that are out there these days, tag, tag world, and, you know, just uh, what we do is go after the ones that have the top friendships and just do a straight CPM, you know, split with them and try and get them to do an endorsement where they place digital assets and editorial and advertorial and ad for games and everything else on their site so that they're essentially endorsing it because it's on their page and something that they're interested in and they already have a lot of friends and then they send out a bullet and then you just do a rev share for whatever you're being paid on it and you keep everything transparent. So one of the so things – I'm sorry, Michael, go ahead. 
Well, there's a lot of ways, I think, of doing it, but I think when people try and do things, you know, where it's playful and, you know, it's, it's being inauthentic and they're taking on different characters and um, personalities, that's not, you know, as long as it comes across as authentic, that's what's important. You want to hire people that are already predisposed to have an interest and are motivated to participate. Instead of being contrived and manipulated. Right. The music companies hire high school and college kids to be on blogs all day long. And in things yeah, that they're and truly why, interested in. Blogs in particular, you've got to be really careful because blog people are very opinionated. They're really almost the watchdog of watchdog groups that are looking to just come at you with knives. <laughs> so how do you befriend them? And that's the whole goal is really you want... You know, first off, you got to recognize that, you know, their audience are not users. Their audience are readers. And how do you make them look like a celebrity to their audience and give them added value opportunities, such as prizes and contests and games and reviews and, you know, information that's relevant to them so that they can solidify their uh, relationship with their readers and offer the readers things that their readers can't get anywhere else. One of, one of the things we talk about in... Oh, that is a, such a podcast foul. <laughs> a Mary. cell phone is on in the... I know. Oh, I am so sorry. That is yeah. wrong. Mary's faint. Hello, Mary? I know I'm having lunch with... Keep Dad. going, keep going. <laughs> I can't Good Lord, it. this is... She's are you ever through. embarrassed? Uh, what I was... And it's unavailable, probably a sales call. Oh, it's your, it's okay. your famous. It was your agent. Now, now, from now on, Pete, you're going to have to stand up at the beginning of each podcast and say, can you all please turn on yeah, your cell phones? Silence your cell phones. What Etiquette. I, what I was going to say before I was so rudely interrupted was that... <laughs> I do apologize. <laughs> what I was going to say was when in, in school when we're talking about creating change, one of the things we talk about is you have to get the leaders of the organization on, uh, on board to your change, and they're not necessarily the ones that are in management positions or, or particularly... You know, positions of authority, but people trust their word, they trust their viewpoint and their judgment, and they go to them and say, all right, is this okay? And then if they endorse that, then other people follow suit. So what I hear you talking about in guerrilla marketing is the same thing. If you can get the opinion leaders and, and the people who, sur- who surround them in their community to say, yeah, this is pretty cool, then it creates that domino effect, and, and they're more than willing to buy into it. Well, and that's really one of the issues. I mean, Michael said, and, and Tim said as well, is that, is that you know, the nuance that these bloggers, the most vitriolic writers about this whole thing, they're the ones who go at you because it may appear authentic, but is there a difference between appearing authentic and being authentic? Yeah, they almost want to pre-qualify you and run you, you know, through a litmus test to see if you're the real deal. And also just, you know, you see a lot of people going out to these blogs and they, they haven't read the blog. you gotta, you got to flatter the blog reader. I mean, if you're going after a blog writer who has a lot of following and a lot of other blogs are cross-linking to that person, um, you know, you better be vested in and have read that person's blog over the past several weeks so at least know what's going on. Perhaps throw out a compliment or a challenge to one of the articles. Don't always lead with the praise. Sometimes it's great to lead with the challenge just to stir conversation further. But be well informed because most of the top blog guys are and, and women are very intelligent. So you wanna you wanna, you know, have people who you know, Gorilla hires people that are writers already. You know, that they're well written. So uh, my division, we have a division for blog called Blog Relations, and all they do is I have one person who has relationships with only about you know 15 to 20 blogs, and but they're key blogs, and it's about having those relationships and developing those relationships instead of going the other way where it's some high school or young college kid going on and 
spamming on a bunch of blogs. That's totally the wrong way to go about it. Is there for, and while we have two experts and I know we can't keep you forever, Michael, are there some experts or, or books or material available for people? So if I have a small company or something that I'm trying to do personally, some resources that I could go that would help me plan things out and, and help me as a, as a business person trying to promote my stuff? Well, um, you should definitely read The Long Tail by the editor of The Wired. What do you think? What do you think of the long tail? I mean, there's been some criticism about the long tail for both of you. I mean, that it's uh, Chris Anderson's book. It's a, I found it, you know, putting my cards on the table. I found it an excellent read. I thought it was very interesting. I find its scope of application is is narrower than I think he wants it to be. Yeah, which is the same problem that the tipping point had. You know, they're, they're not workbooks giving you the A, B, and C pathway to achieve, uh, you know, to tactically understand how to unfold your strategy to, you know, hit the marks. Um, it's larger concepts of just understanding that we're now in a communication change where all marketing has shifted because it's no longer about a single mass homogenized messages distributed through traditional channels. There's now tons of different segments who each want to be spoken to in a way that, you know, resonates with them. So um, in order to do that, it's about all these niche groups that you have in aggregate, and you design specific messaging to smaller groups, but you, you know, col- you know, make sure that you have a consistency of contextual message, but you have to put it in the nomenclature and slang and the values, incentives, and motivations of those groups in order to really get a higher level of resonance. And that's kind of what he points out in the long tail, and he also points out a few successes and different things. I mean, I think the the self-publishing chapter is probably the best chapter in the book because there are all, you know, we are in a self-publishing explosion right now, not just with YouTube and the other video sites where you can upload your video and publish, but, you know, or with Flickr where you can upload your photos. And, you know, you have blurb.com, which uh, allows you to take any textbook you've written or any photos you've taken and upload them and, you know, in three days have a hard-covered, really beautifully printed book at your door for 75 bucks. You know, you, there's self-publishing has really changed the entire map so that mom and pops now can own their own publishing companies. So in order to do that, you need to know how to how do you weed through and filter to find the exact groups that are going to perhaps be your, you know, best potential customers. You and, know, we, um, we should take a step back. And could just for, for those who haven't heard of, of what the long tail theory is, can either one of you just lay it out, short strokes, what is the long tail? Tim, go ahead. I've been talking too much. <laughs> In the 70s, demographics were how you went after people. In the 80s and early 90s, it was psychographics. Now you got to understand their behavior. As you said, their nomenclature. Um, you got to get the word verbiage right. It's got to be dead on. It's got to be the correct tone. It's got to be, and and that's that's what it's all about. Because if you do, it will spread. Mm-hmm. And if you get anything wrong, we know. Just like he's talking about in the blog, if you don't get in there and get to know the people before you're going in and adding in, you know, you have to know who their reference groups are and what they refer to and what's acceptable and what's not. I mean, it's all about me now. You know, and, and, and the world's changed a lot. It has, and you look at you look at some of the tools that have come out, and particularly in this long tail theory. There's a tool that for for web uh, for you know bloggers for site owners that really leverages. It's called Hittail.com. Uh, have you heard of this, Michael Hittail? 
No, I haven't. It is it is one of the coolest applications of what the long tail represents, and this is for, I'm gonna I'm gonna go geeky for just a, a thirty seconds here. So you have this this thing called natural search, right, where people go to Google and they search for Tim Mance, and and a Tim Mance reference will come up on a number of different websites. Well, uh, it, what Hittail does, if you put this little snippet of code in, on your website, it will show you where in a in a, a nice long tail curve exactly how many times Tim Mance has been searched and found on your site. But it will also show you in decreasing, you know, decreasing order of volume of search hits, how many other subjects on your site have been, uh, have been searched by these natural searches through Google and AOL and, and MSN, right? So say in your site somewhere three or four times you mention, uh, you know, that uh, marketing is the police state of the 21st century, whatever. <laughs> It might tell you that three people searched for police state and came to your blog. Hittail then builds an editorial to-do list, an editorial calendar that says people are searching for these things in this order. You can write more about them and increase your blog traffic. So you're leveraging that long tail, which is you know the 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 volume of uh, of applications that are of interest to an in, infinitely shrinking group of people. Uh, and you're building your traffic based on their interests. Yeah, it's, 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 that's really a fantastic tool. It's funny, there's so many widgets that are coming out like this now. Yeah. They call them widgets. They're, um, essentially, they're little tools and features that any webmaster or blog owner can put on their site just by grabbing the HTML code. And you can customize them in a lot of ways. There's one called Eureksster that's very similar to Hittail, but a little different. Mm-hmm. And... Um, uh, you know, Eureksster basically allows you to essentially create your own little search bot so that things that are of interest to you are things that will come up when people search on your search tool that you place on your site. So it might just be the sites you're interested in, the lifestyles you're interested in, the articles you're interested in, and it actually will serve. You can even select what types of ads you would want to appear and make money from a CPM, a CPA, and a CPC basis. But really... You know, it'll, it, what it does is it allows very specific type of search tools to be placed on blogs and on websites that for all these niche sites. And um, the way you categorize the stuff is not so much based on lifestyle as it is um, and behavior. It's actually more based on, a lot of times, motivations and values and incentives that drive behavior. So, and... You know, there's so many different tools that are coming out. Most of these are just front-end pieces that use uh, Google and uh, Yahoo uh, back-end APIs that just filter into them. Like, um, you know, there's these things called APIs that have basically take all the live feeds. Imagine them like the old-school live feeds of radio shows or, you know, uh, news wires. There's all these live feeds available now that you can, for different information, that aggregates the information. And then there's a nice-looking front-end that allows you to customize the look and feel of it to be able to syndicate it or put it on your website. <laughs> Michael, uh, we have monopolized our uh, allotted 20 minutes of your time, and so I just want to uh, thank you for, for uh, taking the time to chat with us today. It's very interesting stuff, and you've got a, an excellent perspective uh, in your experience. So thank you for your time. Thanks, guys. Nice meeting you all. Nice to meet you. Thank you, Michael. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you. Have a good day. All right. Too. Be well. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. So the big question I've got, uh, Tim, and you can sort of – illustrate this, I want to go back to your Toyota example, is how does, this, how does all this stuff fit? 
right? With a traditional marketing organization where you have the you, you know a consistent you know four P's approach to a marketing mix. Well, well, the four P's are gone. Yeah. I mean, it's all become the five C's. Driven. I, everything's consumer driven. Right. right. What and are it, those five C's? But, but uh, and, and I would say that most organizations don't know that yet. The, the four P's, if you don't know, are product, price, place, promotion. And they were all based on what the manufacturer or company had. The five C's are consumer-driven. The first C is a consumer. Product is customer solution. Price is cost. Okay. Um, place is um, convenience. Um, promotion is two-way communication. Because you've got to listen before you talk now. Um, positioning is everything and fitting in a certain niche. Uh, making sure you can communicate exactly how he talked about on all the levels. All kinds of advertising is changing. I mean, we all, all have on-demand TV available today. Um, if you watch an on-demand TV program, it has a bunch of advertising messages up front. If you watch any movie, if anybody saw Talladega Nights, it was full of the car was Wonder Bread. He was sponsored by Powerade or something. I mean, there were so many commercials within that movie. It it was almost funny in itself. Is that um, effective? I think it is because if you're one of the brands that's number one or number two, all you got to do is remind me that you're there. It's it's a subtle reminder. As Jack Welsh knew, who former chairman GE. If you're not one or you're not two, you're not a choice. And if you're not a choice, then you, your goal should not be sales but awareness and differentiating yourself so you become a choice, right? Intel made memory just like everybody else did. But what they did was they somehow configured a chip and called it a microprocessor. That wasn't different from what they were already doing, but they put it together, created a new category. Therefore, they're first in the category that didn't exist before. Was it anything different? Not really. But now it's a new category, microprocessor. You know, why does everybody know who crossed the Atlantic first, right? First guy to cross the Atlantic? You know the first lady, though, right? Sure. Amelia Earhart, right? She's, but you wouldn't know the second guy either, would you? Same player. No, that's right. Okay? But that's a different category. It's the same thing. When you set up a new category, you are setting up yourself in a place of differentiation which is bigger now than it's ever been if you can't differentiate yourself it's over then you're going to compete on price okay so then how does it fit i mean that's i we that's the i mean blogs are a big theory. part of it yeah. if you're talking to blog people and mm -hmm. there are two kinds of blog people who are just like talk radio people okay talk radio people 99 percent of them never will call in okay they just listen blogs are the same way there's a huge percentage that will read, and that's all they do. The reality is, if, if you study any amount of sociology, is that you tend to read stuff you agree with or listen to stuff you agree with. So if you have a slant in a particular direction, you tend to follow that movement or that slant. You're not going to listen to stuff that totally disagrees with you. That's really hard to do. It's really hard and most, most people hate change. So you try to follow stuff that fits with what you already believe because it's just comfortable. And, okay. and we all don't like to be uncomfortable. So, so look at this Toyota example, just to take one that you just, just finished working on, right? Now, I've seen a lot of the, the TV promotions for the Yaris, and it's clever and with the spider with the 
gas tanks. Right, you know, right. I mean, that's, that's the middle American yeah. approach. Uh-huh. But they knew that if they were going to get the 18 to 24-year-old college kids, there's a group that they call the Indies. And the Indies aren't really going to college, okay? And what one class showed them, I had them do a market research project. They did a project and said, you know what? These Indies dumpster dive for their clothes. These Indies... Um, live in apartments with four or five friends. They're bike messengers. They walk at, work at coffee shops. They're not interested in material things, okay? They, they're just, you know, young and fun, and, and they're independent. Now there's the wannabes who are going to college and who go to Urban Outfitters and buy what looks like the dumpster dive shirt for 80 bucks. And those are the kids who are really buying the car, well, what we had to do was hold events that brought the true indies out so the wannabes would come. Toyota did very much the same thing with the Scion. I mean, if you showed your Scion keys, there were parties you could get into. There were special events you could get into. And they created sort of a club, a niche. And what was really neat about the Scion was you built it. You go yeah, on the website the, and you built it. snap together kind so of So it was yeah. the web. That is really a web-driven car. And um, the Yaris is more is not the Pimp My Ride crowd, it's more the cleaner crowd um, What that Volkswagen's going after. Um, if you've seen Volkswagen with the GTI, they have the Unpimp My Ride yeah. kind of thing. And they very much play into that I think the people who pimp the ride are foolish. Mm-hmm. So they know their people, just like Michael said, well enough that they can speak their language. The German scientist goes, ooh, snap. There's, there's yeah. no way in a million years that guy would ever say that. Right. But he's showing you how ridiculous you believe these people are. And inside you're going, yes, I agree with you. You're right. That is my car. Uh, i got to bring up an ad that's been floating around virally. That, and and I, we, I did some research found the story of this. Have you seen the Polo, the Volkswagen Polo ad? Terrorist ad. The terrorist ad. Do you know what this one it is about? It runs in Europe. It, it, it actually, uh, it's, it's an interesting ad. That It's one that Volkswagen has a statement that said, we didn't support this. We didn't do it. Uh, the ad, in short, it shows a, a terror. Uh, some uh, an, it shows a guy who looks like he's looks in Palestinian like garb. Yeah, he's a Palestinian flag scarf, scarf around, around his, his neck. neck with the dark glasses, and definitely of Arabic, like origin. camouflage kind of clothes. And then you see him open his coat when he he gets into his car, pulls up next to a street side cafe, yeah. opens his coat. You see, he's got a bomb strapped to his chest, and he pulls out the button and presses it. And when he presses the button. The he whole inside up. of the car fills with smoke. And, and the car up. just kind of shakes. But the car is fine. Yeah. And it says, Polo, Polo one small tough but car. tough. Yes. Yeah. And, Volkswagen and did not produce that, though, right? Well, that here's a, what happened. That it was a spoof. It wasn't, wasn't it? a spoof. It was, it was an agency. that One of their agency's agencies, it was a sub, that, uh, Lee and David. Uh, so leeanddavid.com. They actually have it up on their website. Uh, they, they produced it on spec and sent it off to Volkswagen, who said, we're insulted, we can't believe you did this. Somebody, and this is where the story gets a little bit hard to follow, somebody disagreed with them and leaked it, and it became one of the most viewed... It's huge. I mean, it is, it is huge. Uh, well, there's did one, they really not be, were they really not involved with it? Well, and that's that the question. The I mean, the, exactly yeah, there the is game, a question, but, right? Uh, yeah. Just like they had one in Italy that they said they knew nothing about, and it actually ran, where all it showed was a woman from under her chin to like her belly button with the seat belt across her. And then um, all of a sudden her nipple started to show through her shirt. It said, you know, the polo now available with air conditioning. 
And they said, we have nothing to do with this ad. But here but, it is all over, Rever and YouTube and Metacafe. I mean, it's on all of the video spreading sites. Spreading their name. And it's spreading like crazy. And I'll tell you, it's interesting. In all the classes that I show that, that polo ad, uh, I have yet to find anybody who's actually offended by it. Except for the politically correct crowd who would write about it if it hit the papers. Yeah. But that's not but who is that bad? toward anyway. But you know what's no. funny? Is, is no, but the company would take a yeah. lot of heat and they right. would get pressure. They would from, from you know, certain constituencies. And they don't, they don't but here's that. the thing. It was what I found hard to deal with, with that ad in particular, is the company logo attached to it. I don't know how I would feel to it necessarily if I saw it on, say, Saturday Night Live or Mad TV. You know, then it might be worth, uh, you know, God forbid, a chuckle. Everything they're doing right now, they're getting into what are we sick of? Yeah. If you look at the Crispin, Camport, Crispin Porter campaigns, Alex Bogiski's leading them into what are we sick of? We're sick of the pimp our ride crowd if you're younger yeah. and you're one of the people that doesn't fit in that. If you're older, you're sick of political correctness. You get the white guy getting out of the car and the black guy turns to him and says, you got to teach me some dance moves? And yeah. the other guy goes, what? You think we can all dance? And and you're stereotyping there, and they nail you on it for stereotyping. Yeah. But then you stereotype again when you see the guy from waist up, and you assume he's a pitch man in the suit, and he's wearing lederhosen when they pull back. Right. And you're going, I stereotyped again. And you got nailed twice. And it's like, this is crazy. I don't even know what I can say or what I can think anymore. Yeah. And they are inside these people's heads, and they know what you're thinking, and you're shaking your head going, yeah, I'm confused about all this as well. Well, and that's the brilliance of the campaign, is that it's sort of the, you have the advertising and the meta-advertising, which is which is really a, more of the social statement. There aren't a lot of organizations that have been able to achieve that social statement. I mean, you look at the, uh, you've seen the Hummer ad, the H3 with the, it's a little monster, it's the Godzilla and the Robotron have a baby. That one got old really fast. Yeah. yeah that was uh, here's one that I think is really interesting, though. It's a sun. It's the Happy Morning Folgers campaign. And this is one that is, they're one of the leaders of actually producing commercial content for this new crowd explicitly, not for broadcast on traditional media. So here's a, a minute and a half of these the happy glowing orange people coming across, and they they like sneak into people's rooms and sing, "It's a happy day," right? And, uh, and wake people up who are just groggy and resent the morning and all that stuff. That and was it, me this morning. It, that's that's yes. kind of what it is. It reminds, you know, it's it's annoying, but it's so true. Well, did, and it really captures it, but it was only for release on YouTube and, and these did things. Did you see what Virgin Mobile did? I mean, Which I, I was surprised. At, during the holidays, they had prepaid phones, but you're to a younger audience. And they had Happy Christmas Hanukkah Kwanzaa. And they had <laughs> and they had a call center with um, Happy the Gay Elf, and they had two Hasidic Jews, and they had uh, a guy from India or Pakistan, you know, somewhere in that region. And he answers the phone, and he's obviously talking to someone about phone sex because he's saying "spank me." And they go through <laughs> all these different things, and at the end, you know, um, and there's an African American guy who's sort of the MC of this show. It looks like a fundraiser, and he goes, let's look at the ham. And the two Hasidic Jewish guys go, the ham, you know? And, and, and I mean, they, they, yeah, they made fun of, like, every single politically correct holiday thing you could possibly 
have. And is that effective though? And and for the young kids it was because they thought it was really hysterical. Now Napster in England caused a little bit of a stink because they had this commercial that started out where there there was like a black screen and this view window opened up that was like a rectangle, a long skinny rectangle. And there was a woman in there and she starts dancing and taking off clothes. And she's dancing, taking off clothes. And just as she's about to take her bra off, where most guys would say it would be getting interesting, the window closed. And it said, tired of previews of music that's too short. Napster, yeah. we let you hear the whole song. Yeah. And that, I mean, that kind of stuff. But they, who, who predominantly gets music on the computer? I mean, it's typically guys. And guys do it for their girlfriends and whatever. They knew that. They played into that. And and what I see a trend of more that I hadn't seen in the past, especially with things like Unpimp My Ride, is I don't care if I offend the people who aren't coming to see me. And and it, it's, it's more out there. We've got to do more to get your attention. I've got to connect with you. And if I do connect with you, yeah, it may upset some people over here, but so what? Because you agree with me. Because as long as you hit your target audience... Right, you and they don't, don't worry about the, the reper folks. repercussions from the others. What the others are, yeah. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's going to put us in a whole new territory. But How then, so? Well, well, don't you have to become more outlandish with, with yeah, every keep, cycle because yeah. you have to then keep up, and then it becomes how do you continue to top yourself to grab that attention, and and you're, you're in trouble because it becomes harder well, to do. Well, in basic communication, especially... I mean, usually they bring this up in PR. There's something called offers and blocks. Whenever you talk, you're offering something up, right? All day long, we block. Anybody who's ever picked up their cell phone, doesn't know who the person is, you tense up a little bit, how am I getting rid of them? You walk down the hallway in school, right? I always ask, who are some of my new students? And I walk by them, say, hi, hi, and they always put their head down. And then when they meet me, they're embarrassed. And I said, you were blocking. And that's what you're taught to do. It's your defense mechanism, perfectly normal. How do I get you to unblock? I've got to relate to you on a level so you will accept me. I've got to understand you. I've got to listen to you. We've got to communicate in the same way. And I've got to, there's, there's a book out called Hating the Sweet Spot now. And the lady runs the Integrated Marketing Communication Center at um, Kellogg School of Business. And she used to be president of Hal Reine, but she talks about that you, you don't create demand. It's not possible. All you do is alert people of what they wanted. And if you alert them in a way that they're accepting of, you have a relationship and you can therefore actually convince them to do something. But it wasn't something they, are, they weren't going to do anyway. So I have a question. What is the difference between marketing, advertising, and PR? Marketing's a big thing. Marketing relates to product, price, place, promotion, like we said, and you can break that into four C's. But if you want to think of it as jobs, there's research and development. At the front end of a company, you figure out who your market is and you create products for that market. The product manager takes the information from research and development and makes a product. The channel manager makes sure that it can be logistics and channel. Make sure the thing gets manufactured correctly and gets distributed to the proper retailers. The brand manager handles the advertising, the PR, the viral, and 
And in that job, you can be dealing with a traditional ad agency, a Hispanic agency, a minority agency, a marketing communications firm, a brand strategy firm, a PR firm, a packaging firm, um, you know, the ones that do the end aisle sales promotion. And, and that's where the, the integration problem is, is, is sales falls under that too. Now, if you do a good job of marketing, sales becomes easier. And if you understand the entirety of marketing, which includes making a product somebody wants, then it's easier. Because in, in marketing, theoretically, they say there's five marketing orientations. One of them is the product concept where you just make things better irregardless of any target audience. Technology companies do this all the time. They make things better, faster, smaller because they can um, there's the production concept where you make as much as you possibly can cheaply and have it distributed everywhere. So it's readily available cheap. There's the selling concept, which life insurance falls under for most people, where the people believe the product cannot be sold without someone selling it to you. Then there's the marketing concept, which is the one that most profitable companies use, where they look at the target audience, figure out what their needs are, figure out if that's a profitable niche within the industry and then create products to fill those needs and then make them aware of those products. And the fifth one is a societal marketing concept, which says the same thing as a marketing concept, but I'm going to look at the bigger picture and try to save the earth and do things that are environmentally correct and sustainable and so on. Interesting. So really in a way, PR and advertising is a, is really falls under the category of marketing. Yes. There are a lot of organizations that believe that, I think, yeah. Yeah, it's, I think it's that's true. brand management. It's a yeah. small piece. Very interesting, you guys. This has been a good one, right? Yeah. We, I, I, I can't I, believe I, it. We've used I've learned up our a lot. time. I've learned a lot. Always. So, anyway, we apologize for the sound that uh, we've had some laundry going on in the <laughs> floors above us. And uh, uh, I do apologize for that, but hopefully we get through it. There's a lot of good information here, and I really appreciate you joining us, Tim. This has yeah, been, uh, thank you. It's been delightful. Like, very cool. Uh, and I uh, hope you'll come back and talk to us. It was good again. to have Michael, too. Yeah, yes, it was. A lot of good information. That was a very interesting, uh, interesting topic. So, uh, thank you very much. And uh, on behalf of Jamie and Mary and Tim Mance, uh, we are out of here until Thanks, another everybody. Tuesday noon. This has been Tuesday Noon for August 29, 2006, a service of University of Phoenix. For more information on the show, catch up with us on our website at www.tuesday12.com. And write us. We look forward to hearing from you via email at theshow at tuesday12.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week, Tuesday Noon. <laughs>